Welcome to another episode of the No Feeding Tube Show. I'm your host, Yvonne McLaren, and I'm here to help you live your best food life following or during head and neck cancer treatment. And what do I know? Well, in late 2018, I was diagnosed with oropharyngeal cancer, and I went on to have a third of my tongue removed, both tonsils, the tumour, 30 lymph nodes and 30 chemo radiotherapy sessions. I also had a peg tube feed for 15 months and ate nothing orally in that time. So thanks for listening. This is a lived experience and one that I think is better shared. So grab your favourite beverage or your walking shoes and let's get started. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining me on this, the 30th episode of the No Feeding Tube Show. I started this episode with clapping because I think we all deserve a round of applause uh, for what I'm about to discuss today. And today's topic is portion sizes and the time that it takes to eat things after you've had head and neck cancer treatment. And depending on what you've had uh, done, uh, might dictate the amount of time that it takes you to eat something, anything, everything. And I certainly know that the amount of time that it takes me to eat things has certainly increased and it also impacts a number of other things, uh, as we've probably all discovered. But the three things that I want to talk about today is the amount of time that it takes to eat something, uh, selecting portion sizes and what your portion sizes might look like now. And the third thing is talking, eating and breathing. And in many ways, this kind of dovetails off the social eating aspect, if you like, and the fact that talking, eating and breathing are almost impossible as well. From my experience, it's very much a new learned skill that I've had to be mindful of and I've had to practice and practice and practice over again. So the time that it takes to eat, um, you will know that, and certainly this is something that I've discovered, if you're going out and trying to eat socially or uh, you're out um, in a restaurant or you're out at a family gathering or you're out with work colleagues or, um, you know, you're just put in that situation where you have to or, sh- or you're invited to eat something. Can you go out for lunch? Can you go out for dinner? You know, I tend to always say no unless I know the people really well. Um, but if you're caught in a situation where uh, it's – sort of the thing to be eating at that time, then there's a couple of things that you've got to take into consideration. And one is the amount of time will often dictate what you order, um, your ability to swallow and what sort of food and textures you can swallow is also going to dictate what you're going to order and potentially how long it's going to take you to eat that. Uh, And the third thing is, you know, being conscious of how long it takes you to eat something as compared to everybody else that you may be dining with at the time. 
I know, for example, that as I've gone on in my journey and I've taught myself and researched what sort of food I can and cannot eat, the amount of time that it's taking me to eat things is getting better, meaning it's getting less and less and less. I mean, gone are the days when it's taken me an hour to eat a very small bowl of soup with um, croutons in it, for example. But the other night, classic example, I made myself a um, pork schnitzel. Now, just to explain my pork schnitzels versus a pre-manufactured or made schnitzel, I make my pork schnitzels from female pork. I buy a cutlet with a bone in it which I cut in half horizontally. I then bang that meat out so it's about, you know, three centimetres in depth. I then add panko crumbs to it because I know I can eat panko crumbs as opposed to the stuff that butchers normally put on it. Um, A meal like that, uh, which would have the surface area of about my hand space, would take me comfortably, if I'm eating it properly and focusing on what I'm doing, probably about 20 minutes now. That meal would have taken me anything up to an hour in times gone past. So I'm definitely getting better. I'm also getting better at what accompaniments I need to have with that meal. And I think a couple of episodes ago, I talked about purees and making puree, adult puree, uh, so that you can flavour add to it and you know how to make puree taste good and it becomes the right consistency. All those things come into play and will dictate how long it's going to take you to eat a meal. Dryness of mouth, pain, ability to chew, number of teeth, whether your gums have been impacted like me, whether your tongue has been impacted, all those things are going to dictate as to how long it's going to take you potentially to eat that meal. Uh, And the point I make here is if you're out socially, that is one thing and it certainly crosses my mind. It flashes across my mind every time. I'm not going to order any food because I know it's going to take me so long to eat it in comparison to everybody else around the table. My answer to that, by the way, is I'll often just have a really good coffee with pure pouring cream in it. Uh, That will often fill me up and give me some calories if I can't have a meal. I always discuss and or pre-organise soups. That's just a given. And the other day, I actually had some uh, flat chips or fries, as you probably call them in the States. Uh, Up until very recently, I haven't been able to manage potato, sweet potato, yes, but the other potato, no, like an Idaho potato, no way, starch level, way too great for me. But the other day, I managed some flat fries or chips, as we call them in Australia, with this pumpkin soup. It was an interesting restaurant. It was a Persian restaurant. Um, and his wife had made this beautiful pumpkin soup. And we had uh, ham and cheese toasted sandwiches with it and fries, chips, most of which my uh, work colleagues understood my situation Uh, I told them all to shut up and stop talking to me and stop asking me questions while I was eating because, as we all know, uh, 
we can't eat, breathe and talk. In fact, that was the next point that I was going to make. It's really difficult for people to understand that the simple or what used to be a simple non-thought-about skill, eating, chewing, making sure that your food is exactly where it needs to be in your mouth so that you can swallow it and you get to know that. And if you're anything like me, I've got one side that doesn't operate very well. It's got scar tissue in it. The other side works a lot better. So I I quite subconsciously manoeuvre that food to go down the side that hasn't had the tumour removed and hasn't had the bulk of the radiation, if you like. So we all know that talking, eating and breathing is very difficult to do. It's very difficult to hold a conversation about any kind of serious topic whilst you are mindfully eating, sipping your water chases, chewing and swallowing without choking or having something come out one of your nostrils or your nasal passage or (laughs) wherever else it might end up. So that's the other thing. And I actually openly tell people about this. I go, look, just so you understand the treatment that I've had, this is my elevator pitch to them, if you like, so you understand I've had head and neck cancer treatment. It means that I can't do this, this and this all at the same time. The thing that you take for granted in breathing, picking your plate, absently picking up food, um, chewing that, swallowing that, and still continuing a conversation with a thought that is focused entirely on that conversation is near impossible for me. I can no longer do both. And do you know what? I found a bit of a silver lining in that. Uh, My eating is now very mindful um, in the sense that I'm very conscious of everything that I put in my mouth. And I think from a weight perspective, from a um, blood pressure, diabetes perspective, that's quite a good thing. And I could digress off that pathway uh, till the cows come home. So I'm not going to. I'm going to bring it back to us and treatment, having had head and neck cancer treatment and what that means for you from a amount of time to eat point of view. Um, the amount of time it takes to eat, also dictates in many ways the size of the portion serve. Uh, Depending on what it is, and I sometimes tackle big chops. I don't tend to do it that much anymore, but I have been known in the last couple of years to sit down to a, a, a stunning piece of meat or steak, and I must preface that by saying I'm pretty much vegetarian these days. I I find chicken incredibly difficult um, and I really like chicken so I tend to make up for that by making really good high-pressure chicken stock. But the portion sizes and for those that are watching on my channel, my YouTube channel, I'm holding up a spoon here and this little spoon was given to me by my speech pathologist when I was first um, trying to eat or drink thickened water I use that little spoon every single day and just to put in comparison to another spoon that I'm putting up which is a Japanese soup spoon they are the two spoons that I tend to use because I like the amount of food that they deliver 
And I also like the um, texture in my mouth. One's that moulded plastic and the other is a wooden lacquered Japanese spoon. It's funny, you know, on my tongue after radiation, uh, after surgery, what goes into my mouth from a food utensil point of view is really important and I find those two spoons are great. They deliver the right amount of food for me to put in my mouth consistently and they don't feel weird. Like often um, I'm holding up another spoon here for those that aren't watching me. This is a metal spoon. It's one of my old mum's old dessert spoons. I love the shape of it. I love the amount of food that it delivered. I'm not so big on the silver. Uh, it's okay, but I, I tend to defer to those warmer, if you like, food utensils. So those are three things that I wanted to talk about today. The fact that it does take time to eat mindfully and I don't think there's anything wrong with telling people that that's what happened to you. That's where you're at these days. I'm still, um, you know, practicing and learning how to work in this new food paradigm that I now exist in, in a work setting. And that's because before I was diagnosed with head and neck cancer, I'd be at functions, events, lunches, dinners, gala dinners, uh, degustation meals, uh, food and wine were my life. That's what I did. That's what I got paid to do. Uh, I know it's tough, but someone had to do it. But now, of course, my whole uh, food existence is very different and I've had to learn how to manoeuvre myself mostly around the expectations of uh, what my work life dictates that I now need to do and sitting around a banquet table with you know nine other or eight other people and going through an entree a main course a dessert and wine and having to hold meaningful discussion at that table without choking, regurgitating, clearing my throat, coughing up mucus, coughing up something that went down the wrong way, spitting out half the food because once it's got in my mouth, I suddenly realise that I can't, in fact, eat it uh, or I won't be able to swallow it because it's going to sit there like a ball of wool in my throat. Uh, I haven't yet had that experience where I've had to um, cough up or regurgitate on the side plate next to me. Having said that, I believe um, there are some places in China where that's quite an acceptable thing to do. So uh, I will research that and find out if that is back the case. <laughs> so food is going to take time. And I think the sooner you come to the realisation that your food life, your food paradigm, if you, as I call it, has altered from what it used to be, and the sooner you accept it and the sooner you start to research ways to ensure that you are pushing those boundaries as much as you possibly can without putting yourself in danger, obviously, 
um, the better off you'll be, you know. You, I think it's very important to understand where your edge is, where your boundaries are. And I don't think you fully understand and know that until you actually get out of your comfort zone a little bit and go and try some of these things. And, you know, and, and all I'm really talking about today is I'm just making you, particularly if you're in the early part of your journey, but equally if you're an old hand at this and you're, you're like I'm becoming and someone with a bit of experience now, uh, it's very important to understand where you are on that journey. Don't put your head in the sand and pretend that it's not happening because it is, my friend, it is happening. And make sure that you're brave enough to push yourself out right to your limit and see where potentially you have a little bit more give than perhaps you didn't think you did have. So that's today's episode. It's about the time that it takes to eat. You know it's going to take more time than everybody else. And I guess even I'm saying this out loud for myself really uh, make sure that you don't just say no to opportunities just because you know that it's going to take you a lot more time to eat the food than everybody else within that setting. In my experience, I found that people are really forgiving. They do understand. And you know what? When I have been caught out and I've still got half a plate of food left and everyone else is finished and leaving, I just ask them to put it in a takeaway container and I take it home and then nine times out of ten I'll end up eating it for dinner or keeping it for lunch the next day. So nothing ever goes to waste. It's just a matter of being mindful of what you can and can't manage. Again, telling people where you're at, you can't eat, breathe, talk at the same time, tell them that. Uh, And you'll have to keep telling them that because they keep forgetting and they keep asking you questions right after you've just told them that you can't talk, breathe and eat at the same time. So sometimes you need to tell them once, twice, sometimes three times, sometimes four times. Sometimes you just have to put your hand up and start doing charades and go, remember what I just told you two minutes ago? Um, Well, guess what? It's still the case. So (laughs) just keep telling people and, you know, they'll get it eventually. Uh, And making sure that you're getting the right portion size. And by that, um, I often take that little spoon that the um, speech language pathologist gave me, I often travel with it, just keep it in my handbag in a little container uh, and I just know that it's there for me to use if need be. It's comforting too. I find it um, almost a safe place, this spoon. It's kind of weird how attached I've come to it. It's like... um, Charlie Brown and Linus and that blanket a little bit this spoon so that's today's episode and uh, I'm guessing some of you might relate to some of that and I'm so pleased that you join me today and if you haven't already make sure you subscribe to the show and down below I'll pop a link for a free resource that's called the social eating checklist and you can download that resource for free and it's a step-by-step checkbox what are the things that I suggest you have sorted out so that you are eating your absolute best social eating food life now and going forward 
All right, everybody. Thank you. Uh, I look forward to you joining me at the next episode. Until then, eat well and we'll see you then.